Welcome back to the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast, where we discuss the nature and appreciation of transformations. I am your host, Edwin Adams, and today, Clay Mason Stephen returns. So Clay, welcome back to the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. It has been since April 2021 that we spoke, and you had just departed the U.S. You were in quarantine in Australia awaiting for your Olympic bid for the country. And man, a year and a half has passed. I, I am really curious what has happened since we last chatted. Yeah, well, no, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it's been a little while, hasn't it? It's, uh, yeah, year and a half's gone by. I, part, of me, part of me feels like that's gone along um, really quickly, and then part of me feels like it's gone really slowly. So, um, yeah, well, a lot of different stuff's happened. I've moved back permanently to Australia now as of um, a, when was it? April this year, which has been really good. Um, I'm obviously, I'm missing uh, America, missing my team back in America a lot because they were a massive part of my life for, you know, four or well, almost five years that I was over in America for. So, um, so yeah, missing those guys a lot, but, uh, but settled into my new team here back, back at the AIS, the, basically the Olympic Training Center over here in, um, in Australia. So settling in over here. Um, and yeah, just trying to make the most of where I'm at now. So, yeah, it's incredible. Um, the journey that you've been on, we talked a lot on the last episode about all the transitions that, that you made throughout your sports career. And we talked, um, a, a lot about how you overcome adversity. And I'm curious now that we've talked about that, I'm curious what your priorities are now, because when we spoke your eyes were on the Olympic platform opportunity that was in front of you. And unfortunately that, that didn't work in your favor this go round and you were going to make some decisions on whether there was another Olympic opportunity within you. So I'm, I'm wondering what your priorities now that you've had time to kind of reevaluate what the future looks like for, for clay. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, obviously my Olympic, uh, Olympic bid didn't quite work out, but, um, it was interesting. I had a bit of a, um, I guess, a bit of a growth moment. I had a lot of um, reflection to do after I didn't make the last uh, the Olympics. So, um, but it was interesting going into that sort of thing. You're, you're not focused on what it's going to feel like if you don't make it, because obviously your eyes are set on making it. And if you don't believe you're going to make it, then you've already lost the battle. So I was going into that thinking I was going to go to the Olympics, as everyone that was trying did. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. So then sort of just sitting with sitting with myself and, and working out how I felt about not making it was an interesting process for me because I would have thought that I was going to be a much more sort of distraught and, and upset about it. But I think when I reflected on the journey that I had taken to there and sort of my preparation when it comes to the six months and the 12 months, and the two years and the five years prior to trying to make that Olympic Games, it was for me in a lot of ways, a massive uphill battle um, in, in, so, in so many different ways, whether it be the fact that I was moving around from, from Australia to America, changing coaches, um, tore my ACL three times in the lead up to it, six knee surgeries. Um, and then in the very, very, um, very close to the trial, having to sit in a hotel for two weeks prior to the actual trial happening. Um, it was, it was such a difficult, um, journey and you know not to say that, that I couldn't have I couldn't have made the Olympics you know it was just the day that on the on the day that the trial happened it just didn't quite work out for me but then reflecting I was 
I was so I, I had a, I was um I had a lot of pride in what I had done and the um, the amount of things that I'd had overcome when it, when when you sort of consider again all the things I just mentioned, including my mental health and things like that. So to me, it was disappointing that I didn't make the games, but I was very proud of what I had achieved nonetheless in the lead up to it. So. Yeah, well, um, yeah, actually, sorry, <laughs> going back to your question, though. Um, yeah, um, the body's healthy at the moment, and I'm definitely pushing on to the next one. So. Oh, I love it. I love how you tag that on to the end. Yeah, I'm just I'm just going to try again. Absolutely, you are. I would have ex- expected nothing else from you. So yeah. you, you talk about the, the interesting journey that you had. I'm curious, what are the strengths? What strengths do you have that you attribute that ability to, right? I mean, it's unusual... Mm-hmm. For, for someone to have the grit, tenacity, courage, strength to, to try at this level of, of competition. And clearly you are. And I'm curious what you, what, what you attribute that to from a personal characteristic. Mm. I think it's interesting. I think, I can't remember who it was. I was asked this question recently about sort of, about being an elite athlete and how you sort of keep pushing. And I think inherently, if you're an elite athlete, you, um, you are so because you're born with some inherent abilities and some inherent things that, you know, and that it's not to say that those things can't be built and made stronger. But I think the fact that when a young athlete of any sport progresses from that level of, you know, recreational sport to elite sport, that transition happens because there are some innate qualities that that person has. And whether that be drive or courage or strength or passion, it can be any any number of them or any sort of concoction of all of them. Um, and that's, we all, we're all, we're all our sort of own individuals. So everyone has a little piece of all of that or, you know, different combinations of those of those qualities. But I think obviously I was, I was, I was born with a bit of that. Um, I think personally for me, the biggest, the biggest word that I've ever um, sort of lived by and it's the screensaver on my phone is belief. It's actually tattooed on my body as well. And beliefs are really because it is, for me, it's, it's not just a word saying like, oh, you should believe in yourself or have belief in yourself. But for me, it's like a much deeper thing where it's, it, it's comes from my, it comes from the core. I, for some reason, have this belief that I have more to give. And that's in the sport of gymnastics. That's in the, in the realm of management and leadership. And that's sort of just being a good person. I have something to give and believing that that feeling is real is a massive motivator for me because at the moment I feel like I've got more to give and I would be doing myself and the people around me an injustice what I feel like if I wasn't to pursue that. So that's that's one driver that I have. Um, and proving to myself that that is real is is sort of, you know, the, the secondary thing. I want to prove to myself that I'm not delusional in the sense that you feel this way for no reason. So for me, it's... Um, I believe I've got something to give and I want to prove to myself that that, that feeling is a real feeling and that those, those things that I have to give are, are tangible. Yeah. So, so Clay is, is the proof, is the proof back, uh, totally messed that up. Is the proof really the feedback that you seek or is it the journey to discover it? Because I see those as two different things. I mean, most people would want confirmation that I'm doing the right thing. Therefore, I need this cue to tell me I'm doing the right thing, right? But yeah. but you still haven't achieved the proof, right? 
So it's more of a journey. Well, in, a, in a sense, I think they, they are different, but they're intertangled. So I think you get proof that you are contributing in a way. I think it's it's the, um, again, the athlete mindset of always wanting to be better. I always want to see how much more proof I can obtain. And that's not that's not in the form of a pat on the back. That's in the form of seeing someone else flourish when you've had some sort of contribution to their journey. Um, and then in a personal sense, I want to see how much I can achieve because of how much I've tried to contribute to my own journey as an athlete. Is that, so my, my person is sometimes separated from me as an athlete. And I want to see how many of the, the skill sets that, well, the, the things that I've learned along the way as a person, how can I help myself as an athlete, just like I would help someone else as an athlete to achieve, to achieve something, you know, amazing. And I think that's, that's the, the different perspective I have of it is that I want to help myself just as much as I want to help the next person and vice versa. And I think those, those pieces of advice are very difficult sometimes to give to yourself. You get the people that sit around and give advice to other people all the time, but taking your own advice sometimes is the most difficult part of it. So being able to, to provide myself with the same advice that I'm providing other people. And at the same time, that gives you a little check to be like, okay, am I providing these people with the right advice as well? If I can't take it on, then how are they going to take it on sort of thing? So it's sort of like the proof is in the pudding sort of thing. I want to be able to lead by example as well as as well as help other people. Yeah. Do you think you've led by example so far? Um, I think so. And I, I, that's not saying I haven't made a lot of mistakes, but um, I think that's that's one of the most powerful things, I think, for me as someone that tries to be um, someone that people can look up to or at least follow or trust in, in difficult situations is probably the most important thing that I try to I try to be to my teammates, my family and my friends, someone that um, they can lean on in a time of need. Uh, and I think I've, I've, I've done everything that I can to try to be that person. I've made mistakes on the way, but I've learned from those mistakes on the way. And so that's honestly one of the things I'm most proud of in my like, sort of more recent um, gymnastics sort of endeavours wasn't necessarily the results that I achieved, was, but was sort of the way that I was able to make other people feel and hence the way that I felt at the end of a competition when it wasn't, you know, your typical successful competition, but I left feeling as successful as if I had walked away with a gold medal because of what I was able to contribute. Wow, I love that. Um, Clay, I know a lot of people may struggle with attaching belief to the degree of feeling, uh, almost a a spiritual feeling of what's possible. Um, what, what do you say to people who don't have that connection, who, who you recognize that it's really belief is their problem? How do they take the first step to connect belief with feeling at such a deep level? What do they have to, it's gotta be through action, right? You've gotta go prove something or do something in order to build momentum and belief. Is that fair? Is that a fair yeah. statement? I think a fire is lit by passion. You need to be interested and passionate about something. Um, the next step is getting out there and doing what you're passionate about. And I think in doing so, if you're truly passionate about that and you are willing to put in the work and work hard, then you start to build, you start, you start to, um, build a sense of belief. And I, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult question again. As I said, belief for me is really difficult to explain because maybe I'm lucky in the sense that I've always had sense of belief since since I was young but if I try to wind it back I mean that belief was built through you know by the, by the age of eight or nine or ten I was training 25 hours a week 
So I think they come hand in hand in the sense that I wouldn't have been training that many hours if I didn't believe, right? And um, I wouldn't have believed if I wasn't training that many hours. So it's it's uh, it's hard. It's sort of the chicken or the egg. Like what comes first, the hard work or the belief? I think. I mean, they're both you know partners on the journey through. And when when you're working hard and things aren't working out well, it's the belief that keeps you going. Mm-hmm. And when you believe. But things are getting hard. It's the hard work that, that matches it back up, and it's sort of that's they're always slowly catching each other. And I think when when your belief gets out of hand from your hard work, it's sort of like the whole um, a hard work beats talent, and talent doesn't work hard. If you start believing more than you're working, then you're not going to get anywhere. And if you work hard but you don't believe anything, it's sort of like you, you're probably not headed in the right direction. So I think there's sort of in a, in a sense, they swap between being both the arrow and the bow, but they, they interchange. One catches the other. Oh, that is so wise. <clears throat> I hope people rewind that and go listen to that. That is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Wow. So um, from from the context of of belief, if if someone gets that balance right that you that you just talked about, um, what's the cue that tells them that they're going in the right direction? Because I feel like people hesitate that they have to get the answer right. And that that's what holds them back from taking action is this isn't, this is so important for me to get this right. That if I don't, I'm going to fall even farther back than I, than I mm-hmm. already was. So yeah, there's so much gravity. I, yeah. Something I struggled with a little bit because it, that all depends on what, your goal is what your aim is. And I think having a goal or an aim that is measurable along uh, a timeline is important. So for me, my goal and what what I was aiming for, a lot of the time was performance-based or sort of results-based. And that's a great, that can be a great goal, a great motivator. The problem is, is when you don't reach those goals, sometimes you feel like you've, you know, you've failed. But at the end of the day, it's sport. A lot of the time, you're not. You can't control how well someone else is doing. You can only control how well you're doing, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult to base and set goals on results because at the end of the day, you can do your absolute best. There's other people that are better than you. Like a lot of the time, there's not much you can do about that. So for me, to answer your question, it's been a journey of trying to trying to find what the right goal and what the right aim is. And for mm-hmm. me, that is how I can contribute to a team environment and how I can help other people along my own journey as i said so i went to the commonwealth games recently and didn't didn't perform quite as well as i'd hoped so and didn't didn't uh i was i was we're going for a um for a medal on floor and we're trying to get a team medal and things like that and none of none of the above worked out for me where but i left the commonwealth game with a with a overarching sense of accomplishment because of the way that i was able to help my teammates and actually help other competitors that were out there and contribute to this amazing environment of elite sport and I think for me being someone that once again people can lean on or being a leader or just being there to support other people is now my my goal is still to achieve highly when it comes to results but that is paired and matched and married to the sense of making sure that I do it in the right mindset and looking after my own wellness as well as helping other people achieve their own happiness on the way as well because too often you see in elite sport people absolutely 
basically shitting their pants out on the competition floor for gymnastics and scared and vulnerable. And then if you don't cheat anything, you've not you've not enjoyed the experience when when you get to the high level of Commonwealth Games, World Championships, Olympic Games, you've already achieved so much. And yes, there's more to achieve, but there's a lot to celebrate at the same time. And I think if you're not, like, it's sort of a bit cliche, but if you're not enjoying that journey, if you're not enjoying that competition, it's sort of, in, from my perspective now, it's sort of, it's a waste of time. And um, I think that probably comes from the sense of, like, all of my in- injuries and everything that's happened and sort of almost given up the sport in 2020 when my last ACL happened and things like that. I come back and think, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to try to achieve as much as I can. I'm going to have a good time doing it because at any minute, this can be taken away from me just like I had three, four, five times previously with injuries and stuff. So, Wow. <clears throat> Incredible. So what do you think? You're, you're a young athlete in your prime. I know there are a lot of young men vying for the same position you are. What are the, the challenges young male athletes are, are facing today, the, the most serious challenges? Um, I, I know we've heard a lot about mental health. Um, I'm, I'm just curious what your perspectives are. Is it mental health or, or is there more to the challenge facing young men today in elite sport? Um, well, yeah, I think it, there's a lot of different ways to look at the, that issue. Um, I think mental health is a massive thing because I think a lot of a lot of elite athletes, mainly um, in the Olympic sports, there's obviously a lot of competition and you're obviously pushing it and sacrificing so, so much in an elite sport environment. So when someone sacrifices so much and isn't able to achieve what they set out to do, I think that's a massive hit. If they haven't got the right support system and the right mindset, it's very, very difficult for them to, to deal with those sort of setbacks. And I think that affects mental health. And I think the mere fact that people might be sacrificing social life things, family time, friends time, sacrificing things in their meals, sort of when, you, when you're really gunning at an elite dream when it comes to Olympic Games or Olympic gold medal, you, you truly do everything you can to get there. So when you don't get there, you truly believe your whole world is collapsed underneath you, which is why it's so important to build a structure of people as well as an environment where you can... Um, still thrive socially and in a work environment and that that looks different for every athlete depending on sort of time commitments and things like that but you need to be able to build a life that still provides the ability to work hard at your goal but doesn't mean when that doesn't work out your whole life crumbles so i think so mental health is a really important one i think not just within elite sport for men but in men in general i think there's a lot of there's, there's, I mean, again, it's talked about a lot, the stigma around men's mental health and stuff like that. And then a lot of men feel uncomfortable to come out and talk about that sort of stuff. But I know from personal experience, the talking is the one thing that I didn't want to do, but the one thing that would help. And even knowing that when I was going through my own mental health battles was difficult. Sort of, it was the, the battle of, I know every time I pick up the phone and talk to my brothers or my dad or my mom, I feel better, but I still couldn't muster up the courage to do it. So mm. there's, there's a lot of sort of unknowns and I don't really have the, uh, the answer to that, um, but that's something that needs to be a continued conversation. I think obviously there's, there's physical demands as sport progressively gets more and more hard and more and more advanced, especially in gymnastics. There's, there's more and more injuries, it's dangerous. Um, and then, so that's an obvious one. Um, 
And I think financial support for the Olympic sports is the next biggest issue that men men, men are facing in the Olympic sports. Um, I know personally right now I don't get any any financial support, so I support myself. So being able to try to um, build an environment in the gym for myself and for the people around me is my number one priority. Being able to do that when I have to pay for my own rent, my food, um, and not getting any money at all is difficult because then you need to find a job as well. And it's sort of all right. Do I put my do my put my time and effort into trying to building this program so that gymnastics in Australia is is stronger and better and more cohesive as well? And then obviously I would benefit from that. Or do I have to take time out and work? And at the moment I have to I have to find a part time job so I can just support myself um, in the gym, which obviously takes away of time from recovery. Um, planning, you know, it's, it's just, it's difficult because I think from the Olympic sport perspective, we spend, um, we need to spend so much time trying to perfect our craft, yet we're not supported. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to realise your potential sometimes when um, you're not given the opportunity to, if that makes sense. Wow, those are, <laughs> those are some uh, large burdens to carry, Clay. Um, you know, I, I appreciate what you say about family and friends and the network of support that you have around you. Your mom, one of the nicest ladies I've ever had the privilege of communicating with, and clearly she's the number one fan um, <laughs> uh, over here in America. I'm number two right below that. But clearly, um, you've got a, a tremendous group of people supporting you, and I applaud them for recognizing the value that they add to you so you can shine your your light out in the world. And I appreciate what you say about how difficult it is to pick up that phone and, and ask for help, even knowing you have a network of support, it's it's often hard to ask for help. What, in light of that, uh, and I hate to say in light of that, how can friends be more aware of the mental health needs of uh, of men who are who who might hesitate in asking for help what's what do you look for in order to say hey are you okay man is, is there something you need uh, yeah that's, that's difficult building relationships prior to those sort of things like having a relationship with people where you are constantly checking up on them is just a good habit to get in in, in general and i think once again men aren't great at doing that well i mean even speaking from experiences, I have friends that I haven't spoke to in, in three or four years that I would expect to go back to Adelaide and catch up and have a beer with. But I think it's everyone's responsibility to just check in on people more often. And even if it's just, hey, mm -hmm. I hope you're doing well, mate. Like, let's let's catch up. Let's have a phone call. Let's do something soon. Like, just just those sort of conversations. Number one provides the opportunity for that person to know that you're willing to chat and have the time of day for them and opens up that communication channel so that if you do need to reach out or if they need to reach out, it's more comfortable rather than calling someone you haven't spoke to in two years. And if everything is going well, it's great to catch up for a beer when you go home. But at the end of the day, um, you don't need friends as much when you're doing really well as you do when you're struggling. Um, so I think just communicating not asking how, like, are you are you struggling or are you anxious or are you depressed at the moment, but just communicating in general more often with the people that are close with you is just super important. Um, when it comes to noticing sort of warning signs or anything like that, I think it's difficult. I, again, that's, once again, that's difficult to do when you don't speak often. So number one, again, opening that communication channel and talking a lot is very important. Um, other than that, I don't have the answers to that. And I think that's, something that again needs to be continually sort of explored because 
um, I don't have the answers to that. And I think um, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one to answer, I think. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I, th- I have always been a firm believer that the answers are found in dialogue, right? So um, I, I maybe post or, and during COVID, we lost that ability a little bit. We, we got smaller rather than more connected. So maybe it's time to, to recharge the networks a little bit and reach out and connect with people not uh, using technology, but, but not solely through technology. Let's get face-to-face yeah. again and have a conversation. Clay, I appreciate you agreeing to have a face-to-face conversation with me. I know you're on the other side of the planet, but I, and I know you've got to get to training. I appreciate and respect you so much how you shine your light of leadership out there. It it changes people's perspectives. And I know it changes people's trajectory on on their own personal journey because they borrow a little bit of your light. So thanks for shining it, man. It matters. No, thank you so much. And thanks for being a platform where I can really share my journey and share my experiences because um, I think, again, there's too many people out there that have experience and have leadership qualities and and have um, genuine investment in, in young people's uh, journeys through life. And I think, once again, as you said, dialogue is, is where, uh, where change can happen. And I think um, what you do is great. And, and uh, providing me an opportunity to speak is, is uh, um, amazing for me and, um, and everyone else that sort of is able to get on and chat with you. So no, thank you for providing me the opportunity to, to chat.